sorry. Good morning. I'm trying to sound like David. I went to the early service, he sounds like a, somebody should be on the radio. He's going to talk like that. I said, I need a voice like that, man. That is an incredible voice, isn't it? Dad, gum, brother. Can I have that voice? Perfect. You share it with me? Uh, I'll try to do my best. I have watched you online a few times, and you've had, uh, had some great staff people preach and stand in this place, and I'm honored to stand here. What a great worship pastor you have. Can I get a, at least an amen on that? Um, thank you, brother. Enjoyed that. He was sitting up there. Where do you sit in the second service? He said he was going to be in here somewhere. I told him nobody should sit through two of my sermons. That is not a good thing. So if you have a Bible, take your Bible and turn with you to Luke chapter 1. We're going to be in Luke chapter 1 this morning. While you're turning there, I want to ask you to think about something, and I'm going to make a statement. And as you, make, as you hear this statement, I want to ask you to think about it. But I want you to think about it deeply before you quickly say yes or amen or not or whatever. Here's the statement. Nothing God initiates is impossible. Yeah, I think sometimes we're quick to agree and to affirm or to project or to pronounce our desire to believe that that is true. But the practice of that and the reality of that is different than often our profession. Because it is true that a lot of what we profess is more difficult to practice, is it not? For the practice of a truth that we understand and we believe and we know is difficult. And in our passage this morning, we're going to look at a young lady that I'm sure you're familiar with this text. You have read it many, many times, have heard many studies on this. But I want you to look at it this morning with fresh eyes, and I want us to understand how God often operates, more than likely, beyond our limitations, because God is an unlimited God. And nothing that God initiates is impossible. So let me invite you to stand with me in honor of God's infallible and inherent word this morning. It is my custom, and the staff allowed me to at least to have one privilege of this. I like to do this in honor of God's word as we dive into the text in just a minute. But we're going to be reading more text than we're going to be reading this morning. But I'm going to start with verse 34. So if you have your Bible, Luke 1, 34. And Mary said to the angel, How will this be since I am a virgin? And the angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son, and this is the sixth month with her who was called barren. Notice the text, for nothing will be impossible with God. Can we say that together? For nothing is impossible with God. Turn to your neighbor and say you can do better than that. I want you to say it like you mean it. All right, I like a little feedback. I know I'm new. I probably won't get invited back, but that's okay. All right? So let's say that out loud one more time together. For nothing is All right, thank you. God, thank you for the joy and the opportunity we have to be a part of this time together with you. God, we've already had the joy of being in your presence and to acknowledging who you are and what you mean to us and all that you've done for us during this holiday season. And we are so honored and so privileged to call you our Savior and to worship and adore you during this season, to be reminded that you are the reason for this season. I know it's a cliche, but it's true. And from our hearts, God, we just want to bow before you in recognition of who you are and give gratitude for all that you've done for us through this season that we celebrate in Christmas. 
And Lord, I pray that as we study this familiar passage, that it would open our hearts and our minds to fresh and new insights that would transform us by your grace. For we ask in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. Please be seated. Uh, it was already said earlier that I have been married to my lovely wife for 45 years. I don't know if that was said or not. We celebrated our anniversary yesterday in Abilene. It's been on our bucket list for 45 years. Some guys take their wives to London, Paris, Rome. We go to Abilene. And uh, we go to Arboretum and we, we enjoy the lights. I don't know if you've had the opportunity to do that, but you need to do that. It's a, it's a great time. Uh, we had a very intimate moment with about 10,000 other people there with us. That thing only holds about 100 people if you've ever been there. But anyway, it was a joy to be there. And uh, so as a result of uh, 45 years of marriage, we have had, as said earlier, three children. We have an oldest, Matt, Amy, and Aaron. And of those, we have 10 grandchildren. Uh, Our oldest son, Matthew, is acquainted and knows your worship pastor very well. And so uh, when he found out that I was coming here, he said, said hello, and I did. And so anyway, Matthew was with us, and... And uh, we were in our home. We had about 20 people there for our first Christmas in Wichita. Our twins, his twins, the middle children, twins, Avery and Addie, are 14 now. They were three at the time. And with 20 people in one house for over a week, it gets kind of chaotic. And Addie had lost her shoe. And so Doc, my grandpa name, uh, she asked if I would help her find it. And I did. And upon finding her shoe, I got down. And I'm six foot five, if you want to know how tall I am, or a little bit less. I got down on my knees and helped put on her one shoe. And when we put the shoe on, I went to tie the shoe, and she looked at me very emphatically, kind of like one of those women looks, you know what I'm talking about, those girl looks. They don't have to explain anything. They just look at you, and you know what they're thinking. You know what I'm talking about? And so she looked at me with one of those, and she said, Doc, I do it myself. I want strong granddaughters, women who are courageous, who do things for themselves, and as a great-grandfather who never says no to his grandchildren and gets vengeance on his kids by letting them eat lots of sugar and sending them home and all of those things, I said, sure, baby girl, are you sure? She said, no, doc, I do it myself. I said, okay. So I stood up and watched her, and she tried several times unsuccessfully to tie her shoe. And then finally, in exasperation, she looked up at me with this sad look, and she said, doc, will you help me tie my shoe? Now, what do you think I did? No, baby girl, you did it. Yeah, no, you said no to me. I'm not doing it. Forget it. I'm going away. I didn't do that, did I? I got back down on my knees, as hard as it was, tied her shoe, and off she went without saying a word. And that's okay. We don't expect any kind of response from our children often. But I have never forgotten that experience, even though it happened 11 years ago. Because it reminds me how often I am like that with my Heavenly Father. No, God, I don't need you right now. I can do this. I know how. I've got it. And after several attempts only to fail or to get discouraged or frustrated and all those things that I try to do in my own flesh and my own strength and my own natural self and ability, I finally look up to God and I say, God, help. And what does he do? He instantly says, I've been waiting for you to invite me to join you in what you've been doing. And he helps. Today we are going to study from a passage that is very familiar about a young lady who more than likely is between the ages of 12 and 16. We don't know exactly how old she was. 
And she has been invited by God to join God in an activity that is beyond her capacity. There's nothing that she can do in and of herself to make this a reality or to make it happen. She is going to need God. And today it's a reminder that as we take a look at, at a God who is a God of impossibilities, that the reality is that even the breath that we breathe right now in this place as we worship him is an impossibility without God. For God is not only the creator of life, he is the sustainer of life. And every breath that we take is by his grace and his grace alone. And so we need God not only for the breath that we breathe into our lungs so that we might live, but we need him for every aspect of our lives. No matter how small we might think it is or how large it may be, we need God. Now Mary is being invited to a task that is larger than life, most of us would admit. And so she's going to need God. So the question is, how did God then move beyond her inability to become the capacity that she needed to be able to fulfill what God was inviting her to do? There are five things that I see in this text that help us understand that reality, and I want to look at them very quickly this morning. First of all, God planned, God planned the encounter with Mary many, many centuries before he approached her. And I want you to think about this as we read this text. I want you to take a look and analyze this text with me, how intricate and how detailed God is in preparing for this moment in history. I said in the early service that you have Victor here. He's very detail-oriented. Victor, are you in here? There he is over there. Was that true? Is that fair? How would you like to orchestrate this, brother? It'd be a long staff meeting. This is the kind of intricate detail that God uses in order to prepare for this moment in history. And I want you to see how much detail goes into this moment. Notice verse 26. In the sixth month. Don't overlook that very quickly because that's a reference to the activity of the Holy Spirit and of God just prior to this text where God sends an angel called Gabriel to a man called Zechariah who's in the Holy of Holies approaches him and said, I know you guys have been praying and I know you are barren, you're way past childbirth years, but I'm going to bless you with a child and you're going to name him John. He does not believe that it's possible that God is, is beyond the capacity to make that happen and because of that, God makes him mute, he makes him unable to speak until the child is born. And now it's the sixth month in which Elizabeth is with child. God has already made the impossible possible for Elizabeth and that is the time frame that he's pointing us to through the gospel of Dr. Luke. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to the city of Galilee named Nazareth. We see an angel now introduced to us for the second time in the book of Luke. He's mentioned twice in Daniel. His angel is an incredible angel. He's a beautiful thing. We don't even know exactly what he looks like or we can't imagine or fathom in our wildest dreams who, what he looks like, but he is an incredible being. He's an angel with a message sent from God to a special particular city called Nazareth in a region called Galilee. Now, what we need to understand in this text is this, that Nazareth, especially in Galilee, has been long settled by Galileans, by Gentiles, by those who are unbelievers, by those who do not follow Yahweh. And so for a long time now, there's been a lot of wicked and, and ungodly activity of people who have settled there who do not worship the Lord God, who don't practice the practices of the Jewish faith and traditions. And so in this area, in this 
God-forsaken place among many who believe that nothing good can come out of Nazareth because wasn't that one of the things they said about Christ? Can anything good come out of Nazareth? He came from Nazareth. Nothing good can come out of there. Why? He's, he's on the other side of the tracks, if you know what I'm talking about. Do we have one of those places here in, in Amarillo? A place that's on the other side of the tracks where you don't expect or anticipate anything happening of significance that God could never move in that place. And it's a reminder to me, I hope it's a reminder to you, that no matter where you reside, no matter where you live, no matter how people may have written you off, or no matter what they may say about your past or your present or the circumstances that are surrounding your conception, you are not beyond the activity and the grace of God. For God reaches in this God-forsaken place, many believe, and selects Mary, who has grown up in this area, to be the instrument that God's going to use for his glory. Notice in the text, in verse 27, to a virgin. To a virgin who's betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. It singles out, identifies that the means that God is going to use is a young lady who has grown up in a pagan, ungodly area, has kept pure, has lived by the principles and the precepts of God, and has followed Yahweh. It helps us understand that no matter where we live, no matter how wicked of a culture or a society or a community we may live in, it is possible to rise above that community and to live for the Lord. Imagine how hard that must have been, teenagers, for her to grow up in her high school, to have a lot of pagan activity, and yet in that activity she was able to rise above all of the customs and the lifestyles and the pressure of living an ungodly life to be able to become the woman that God would use who had saved herself for marriage. The word virgin means that she had not consummated her relationship and that she was consecrated to God and not embraced more than likely many of the pagan cultural traditions that were going on around her. She was a virgin. That's the means that God would use as a, vir- a holy lady who is a virgin. But notice she's betrothed to a man named Joseph. What does that mean to be betrothed? We all know that, that she has now been betrothed. That is a betrothment that is basically a legal contract. They have not consummated their marriage. He has paid the dowry to the dad in full. They have signed a legal document. The only thing and the only way that they could do to break this document is to basically uh, annul it or to divorce. And so it's a legal binding thing. Joseph is still living with mom and dad and Mary's still with her mom and dad. They have not consummated yet the relationship. They're waiting for the one-year period to to be over with, and uh, they are looking forward to their wedding day that has not yet happened with family and friends, so they are betrothed uh, to a guy named Joseph. We don't know a whole lot about Joseph in the Bible. There's very little said about him, but we do know that he's from the lineage of David, which is critical because if you remember, God promised David in the Old Testament that from his lineage would come the one that would bear the Savior, the Messiah, for God's people. And so we know that Mary and Joseph both are descendants from the lineage of King David. And then you see that it names that she's a woman named Mary. Interesting to me that God knows her name. He knows her name. That means he's been watching her from the time she was conceived to the time she was formed in her mother's womb to the time she was born to this moment in history in which he approaches her, he's been watching her, he knows her name. Have you ever wondered if God knows your name? 
He does. He knows your name. And I hope sometimes you'll hear him call you by your name and invite you to join him in an activity that is greater than yourself because that's what he's doing here. But I want you to think about Mary for a minute because there are a lot of people that have made Mary out to be a whole lot more than what she really is. Mary is a young lady much like many of us here, just a human being. She's 13 to 16 years old. She's betrothed to a guy named Joseph. She's awaiting her wedding day. She has planned it out. Maybe she thinks that there's going to be a special wedding day. There's going to be a wedding moment where friends and family are going to gather together. She's going to walk down an aisle. She's going to stand before family and friends, commit her life to her betrothed, to her beloved, her husband now, Joseph. And they're going to leave that place, live happily ever after, have three bedrooms, two and a half baths, a picket fence, two and a half dogs. I don't know. She's planned out her life, right? I mean, she's anticipating that this is going to happen. And all of a sudden, God is going to shatter her plans. He's going to invade her life and say, I know, Mary, you have this plan, but I want you to know from Genesis 1 to Luke 1, I have been planning out historically everything until this very moment that I want to invite you now to join me in what I want to do. Give up your plan and embrace my plan. That must have been very difficult for Mary. She's no different than you and I are. And isn't it true that often our ways are not God's ways and our thoughts are not his thoughts, so therefore our plans are often not God's plans? And God sometimes interjects into our plans and said, I know you were planning to do this, but I got a different plan for you. And then we have to make a decision, do we embrace his plan or do we not? And Mary's willing to do that. But when God invites you to be a part of the plan that he's been preparing for centuries, because I believe, this for fun, God knew you would be here on this day, in this moment, for centuries before you did. Because you see, God didn't go, oops, I need a different type plan. I have, I, I, my plan didn't quite work out, so I'm going to have to now send an angel to talk to Mary to, for her to have this child so I can have a different plan. God has planned this moment forever. And it's important for us to understand the reality is that when God comes to us and he speaks to us, and he invites us to join him that he's been working for centuries to get us to where we are. So that when we join him in that moment, we are joining an activity that God has been involved in for a long time, even before we were here. So God had a plan, and he planned it out, and he encountered Mary giving her this plan. Notice number two, God provided all-sufficient grace. Because when God invites us to join him, there is a need for us to have this unmerited favor from God that is critically important if we're going to see God fulfill what he wants to do through us. Notice the text of verse 28. And he came to her and he said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. And he came to her. How do we, how do we know how he came? We don't know how that happened. And I think sometimes we quickly read over that and we don't really quite think through what has just happened. He just came to her. He just came to her. How did he come? We don't know. Did he just suddenly appear? Did he walk up to the front gate? Did he knock on the door? Did he clap outside the gate asking to come in? Did he send her a text? We know he didn't do that because there was no such thing as a phone. But how, how did he get there? He just shows up. What was Mary doing? Then it was a sudden appearance where he just suddenly appears. She might have been sewing her wedding dress. She may have been at the kitchen sink doing the dishes. Maybe she was collecting water at the well for supper that night. We don't know where she was. We know she was alone. He just suddenly appears, and they notice he speaks to her. 
Imagine how stunning that must have been for Mary, 13 to 16 year old, all of a sudden this angel is here who is now radiating from the glory of God because God in all of his Shekinah, remember Moses had to cover his, his face because people couldn't look on him because he'd been in the presence of God. So this incredible, beautiful angel who's reflecting the glory of God is standing there. And if that's not surprising and stunning enough, he speaks. And he speaks to her these very familiar greeting. He says, greetings, that means joy. It means rejoice. He's saying, I want you to rejoice, Mary, and what I'm about to tell you, rejoice. is a common greeting. Rejoice. Notice he says, oh, favored one. That word favored also is a word that means grace, unmerited favor from God. In other words, he's telling Mary, this is an honor for you, and you should rejoice in the fact that God has chosen you by grace. In your faith, in him, he has chosen you. It is unmerited, undeserved. It, she's no different than any of us in this room, but because of God's grace, he has chosen, he has selected her, and she should count it a privilege or an honor to serve God in this capacity. Oh, favored one, notice what he says, the Lord is with you. That must have been comforting for her to hear these words, the Lord is with me. Wouldn't that be comforting for you? To know that the Lord is with you, no matter what you have faced, no matter what you are facing or what you will face, that the Lord is going to be with you. He is with you right now. Notice in verse 29, notice how she answers this incredible announcement after this appearance, and she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. She's not just troubled. She's greatly troubled. That means the anxiety level is hitting an all-time high in her heart. Her stomach was turning and her emotions began to rise up in her, into her heart and into her throat. And there for a moment, her emotions were at the max. She was very emotional in this time. She was anxious. There was an anxiety level that she didn't know quite what was coming. Why is this angel visiting me? What is about to happen? What have I done? There's a lot of things going on in her mind and her emotions are going. And all of a sudden, her emotions finally settled down just enough for her to notice what it says she tried to discern what this greeting might want to be. She tried to use her own rational thought. She tried to think through it herself. Let me try to rationalize this. Let me look for some understanding. And what I want to understand in this text is that revelation is never discovered. Revelation is never discovered. We don't discover God's truth. God reveals truth to us. We cannot discover truth independently and a part of our own, apart from the revelation of God through his word. And now the angel is going to reveal to her what it is, but in this point, her thought rationale, her thought process, her discernment is weak. It is incapable of trying to figure out why and what is going to happen. And so is our rational thought. Too often we try to rationalize what God is doing or what God wants to do. But in our rationalization in our limited understanding, we have to understand that we cannot fathom what God is doing nor what he is going to do without him revealing it to us. For on our own, that's not gonna happen. Verse 30, and the angel said to her, he finally speaks. I wonder how long the angel left her there in that moment. It was long enough for her to have an emotion. It was long enough for her to have a thought. Have you ever thought about how long was it between his appearance and now this 
sudden, he's going to interject himself one more time. He's going to speak to her and reveal to her what God wants. He lets her sort of stir and stew a little bit with her emotions and her thoughts. And then he finally says to her, do not be afraid. Don't be afraid. Her anxiety level has now increased to fear. Why fear? There's an angel there. Wouldn't you be afraid? Anybody here ever seen an angel? I hope not. And she's in the presence of this angelic being who's been sent by God and all of his splendor and all of that glory that's there. And he is speaking to her. She's overwhelmed and she's trying to discern. And he says, don't be afraid. Why? Notice what it says. For you have found favor with God. There's that word favor again. And he reminds her what he's already spoken to her, has he not? He's already called her favored. Now he's telling her, you are favored again. Why would he do that? Because the reality is that we need to often be reminded more than once about God's favor. I don't know about you, but my head's a little hard. It takes me more than once to learn a lesson. How about you? Does it take you more than once to learn a lesson? All right, turn to the person next to you and say, he's talking about you, he's not talking about me. We all need to be reminded. And just because I learned the lesson one time doesn't mean I got it. Sometimes I have to learn it two or three, four, five, six, seven times. Anybody here like me? Come on. We're like that, aren't we? God reminds us as he reminds her, my grace is sufficient for you. Grace trumps fear. Let me say that again. Grace trumps fear. I know we often say that faith trumps fear, but where do we get faith from? From the Lord. We can't muster faith up ourselves. Faith is a gift that God gives us, and because it is a gift that he bestows upon us, we get it because of his unmerited favor and grace upon us. And when you face a moment of fear, I think we need to go to our knees in prayer to the Lord and say, Lord, I am afraid. Would you please grace me with the faith that I need to face whatever I'm facing? You see, in this text, we see that God provides the sufficient grace for Mary to be able to achieve and accomplish what God and God alone can do, and he will do that for you. Thirdly, we see that God purposed a specific outcome. He purposed a specific outcome. Notice verse 31. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. And behold, sounds like David, Behold, listen, take notes, Mary. I'm about to say something that's important. I want you to understand what I'm about to say. Behold, notice what he says, you might conceive. Is that what he says? You may conceive. No, he says you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. You will conceive in your womb. She is going to conceive in her womb, all right, a son, no gender reveal here, even after the fact. Have you ever been to one of those? There's no need for that here. She already knows it's going to be a son. And not only that, but she knows his name. You're going to call his name Jesus. There's no looking in one of those books trying to figure out what name that you like or don't like or which family members trying to get you to call him by your, you know, their name. And then sometimes bribes comes with those, right? 
already given the name, already given the gender, already said that you are going to conceive a son. There's, is God revealing his purpose for her even before she gets married? If you can imagine a young lady hearing from God, I have a purpose for you greater than what you had thought. I want you to bear a son, and I want you to call him Jesus. And then he reveals the reason for this purpose he has for her. He says, I want you to name him Jesus. You see, the reason why he's asking her to bear this son named Jesus is because Jesus means Savior. He's saying, I am asking you to bear a son because I now am sending a Redeemer who will save my people from their sin against God. Not only is he a Redeemer, but notice in verse 32, he'll be great and he will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord will give him to him the throne of his father, David. Not only is he going to be a redeemer, but he's going to be remarkable. He's going to be great. Not only is he going to be remarkable, notice in the text, he's going to be called the son of the most high. People are going to recognize him as having a divine father. He does not have an earthly father, so he is divine. He is God in the flesh. But notice not only that, but they're going to call him ruler, for the Lord will give him the throne of his father, David. He's going to reign over Israel. Not only is he going to reign, but notice his kingdom will have no end in verse 33, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and his kingdom there will be, what? No end. Our son is a church planter, our youngest son, in Canada, in Winnipeg, and he's on his third church plant. And uh, he is taking his Canadian citizenship. He's not relinquishing his U.S. citizenship, but he wants to be American and Canadian citizenship Uh, He has three of our grandchildren who have both citizenships in Canada and in the U.S. Easier to become a U.S. citizen than is a Canadian citizen. And he has to, because he's done all this testing and he's ready now, he said the other day, I need to pledge allegiance to the Queen. Well, the Queen of England died, and now there's a king. The monarchy has changed, reigns. It's beautiful to note in this text that his reign has no end has no end. He has been the one who has reigned and ruled on the throne before he came to this earth. And when he left this earth to go and sit at the right hand of the Father, he is now sitting and reigning and ruling in a kingdom that has no end. Now, I want you to think about it for a minute. A 13 to 16-year-old young lady has ideas about possibly what her children are going to grow up and become. I think all of us in here did that. How many parents... We'd be willing to say, you know what, when I had children, I had this idea in my head of who they would be, what they would be like, where they would work, and those kind of things. We have ideas, we have hopes, we have dreams for our children. Although I never thought that two of our sons would be pastors, but they are, by God's grace. Mary could have never imagined this purpose, not only for her life, but for the life of her son. And what I want us to take away from this is this. God's purpose for your life is greater than what you could ever think or imagine. God's purpose for your life is greater than you could ever possibly think or imagine. And I think sometimes we short-sight the purpose of God, not only for ourselves, but yes, even for his church. Because God has a purpose for you individually and has a purpose for his church and God's purposes often are greater than what we could ever possibly imagine, think, or dream. 
And I don't want you to short sight and I, the, the purpose that God has for your life or his church. And I want you to go to him in prayer and say, Lord, are the purposes that I imagine or think or dream about, are they yours or are they too small? Because if nothing is impossible with God, imagine if God wants to fulfill his purpose through you, how great a purpose that might be if you would yield to him and embrace his purpose for your life. Notice, fourthly, God promised a supernatural power so that Mary could fulfill that purpose. Verse 34, and Mary said to the angel, how will this be since I am a virgin? It's a fair question, isn't it? She's exploring the possibility. She said, how in the world is this going to happen? I have not consummated my marriage. I have been uh, pure and, and not been intimate with a man. I have, I'm a virgin. I, I don't understand how this is going to happen. Joseph is not going to be the dad. It's going to happen. How is this going to happen? I don't understand. And there, this is a, a fair thing to ask, is it not? Isn't it great when God answers your questions? How? He does that for her. And the angel then answers, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. You therefore, therefore, the child to be born will be called the Holy, the Son of God. Notice the power of God, the person, the Holy Spirit, would fulfill the prophecy and the promise that God is making to her. It's what I might call a supernatural in vitro fertilization. Unconceivable in her day and time, but not today. For there have been many children that have born through this method today. And yet this is not done by man, it's done by the Spirit of God through the power of God to fulfill the promise of God to give the person of Jesus Christ. And that's what he does here. Notice verse 36. He enlightens her, now he's going to give her an example. And it's always great when we are trying to grapple with the reality of God inviting us to do something that is greater than what we can possibly do in our own. Now he's giving her an example, as he sometimes does to us. As to, I want you to look over here and use this as an example to encourage you. Notice the example. And behold, look here, look and see. Your relative Elizabeth is in her old age, has also conceived a son, and this is the sixth month with her who, has, who was called barren. Notice the past tense, was called barren. Why? By this time, she's not barren anymore. She's with child, with John, and she's in her sixth month. She was called. I don't know what people may call you today, but you don't have to stay the way you are or what they call you. For when Christ invades your life, he can transform your life and you can be called something else other than what you are presently being called. But in this text, this is a beautiful example. He's saying to her, Elizabeth was way past bearing years. She had bearing years of child. And she's been barren for a long time and her husband had been praying for a child. And now I have answered that. The Lord has answered that. He's given them a child and she's six months into her pregnancy. See, God can make the impossible possible. That's the example. And then in verse 37, notice the encouragement that he gives her. For nothing will be impossible with God. When we look at that phrase, I want you to notice one word that we may often overlook. It's the word with. That is a preposition of source. That means nothing is impossible with God. Without God, nothing is impossible. Nothing is possible. With God, everything is possible. 
And that preposition of source means that God has to be our source and it's in and through him that we have the source, the resource that is necessary and needed in order to accomplish and achieve what God wants to do in us and through us. We do not, in the natural, have the ability to make anything happen or anything possible without God. You can build a tower of Babel, church, but it will not stand the test of time. It will fall. And even them in the Old Testament, if they built it, took a step back and admired it for a little while, and after a while, what happened to it? It fell. We can't do anything without God. Matthew, our oldest, was the first one that we read this book to. It's called The Little Train That Could. Anybody know what book I'm talking about? Read that to my children. Why? Because I wanted them to think that nothing was impossible for them to achieve. I did. I wanted strong, confident children, like I want my grandchildren to be the same. But I've learned to not really go there as much as I used to because the reality is that the Bible says that I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Greater is he that is in me that is he in that is in the world. That little train that could was going up. I think I can, I think I can, I think I can. It was going down. I knew I could, I knew I could. Well, I can't do anything, anything without him. I do not have the power. I do not have the ability. I need something beyond my natural self to see God work in a supernatural way to make that a reality. It is important for us to to rely upon the Spirit of God and the power of the Lord to work in us and through us to accomplish what we cannot, independently apart from him, see the reality of what he wants to do in us. Lastly, notice the progress in and through, the progress in and through a selfless vessel. You see, God progresses by his sovereign design through imperfect vessels who allow him to operate and to work in us and through us. It's always blown my mind why God would ever select me to, to be a vessel of his. If you knew my weaknesses and my frailties and my humanity, you would think the same thing. But I invite you to look in the mirror and see your own. And God uses selfless vessels that God wants to use for his glory and for his purpose. And he uses us and he works in us and through us to make what he wants become a reality. He uses people. Notice the text in verse 38. And Mary said, behold, Mary now speaks. It's his turn. It's her turn to speak. And she speaks. And she says, behold. That's the same word the angel has used. See? Take notice. Here I am. I'm stepping up. It's almost as if the, uh, the last song is being sung. The service is over just as I am is being sung by the choir. And Mary is walking down the aisle and presenting herself to the Lord. And she says, behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Those words, I am, are not in the original language. So if we take those away, you see the words, behold, the servant of the Lord. She is simply declaring her conviction that I am presently, as I have always been and will continue to be, a servant, a bond slave of the Lord in which my will is not first, but your will is my first priority. I serve you, God. You don't serve me. It's a new concept today, isn't it? For most of us want God to serve us rather than us laying our lives down in the service of his will and his word. For that's what discipleship is, is, isn't it? A life of servanthood, 
where we die to ourselves and yield ourselves as his vessel and his servants to do his bidding and to follow his word and fulfill his will. Let it be to me. I want you to notice those words. Don't, don't go by those too quickly. Let it be done to me. It's almost as if Mary is just yielding herself to the Lord and saying, Lord, let it be done to me. I can't do this, but I am totally and completely dependent upon you to make this a reality in and through me. I cannot. I don't have the capacity, but I know you do. So let it be done in me and through me. Let it be done. You do it. I'm your vessel. I yield to you. I invite you to do that in and through me. But notice, according to your word, she's declaring her confidence in the word and the will of God and saying, Lord, let it be according to your word. The word of the Lord has come to her, and he revealed his will through his word to her, and she says, Lord, let it be done according to your word. I wish we had more of that in the church today. Lord, let it be done according to your word. For we have reached a time in the church as well as in the pew of people who are not willing to submit themselves to the word and the will of God. We have defined the word of God to mean more things than God had ever intended it to mean, and we have taken away more than God ever meant for us to take away. And it seems as if the culture or my feelings or my desires are the ones who dictate and determine what God's word is, and that's not the way it's supposed to be. We should be servants who are yielding ourselves for the Lord to do it in us and through us according to his word. And notice the angel departed from her. How did he leave? You ever thought about that? Do you ask those questions or just me? Am I weird? Come on, am I weird? Say no. Encouragement, thank you, I appreciate that. If you don't want to say no, we'll talk later, okay? I'll let you deal with David at the end, or maybe Victor. Anyway, I wonder about that. How did he leave? He just departs. That's what all Luke says. He just left. Did he leave the same way he came? Did he just disappear? Did he walk away? Did he fly up into the sky? We don't know. He just left. But was Mary by herself after he departed? No. What did the angel say to her? The Lord is with you. Even though the angel was gone, the Lord was still with her. That's a great comfort to her as well as to us. We don't need angels. We have the presence of the Lord with us at all times. He was with her before, now, and he'll be with her from now on. And so he is with you. The Lord is with us. And we should take great comfort in knowing that when he invites us to join him in his activity, we don't make that journey alone. God is with us. And he's with you. And he's with his church in the journey that you're on. He doesn't abandon nor forsake us. He is faithful and he is true and he is kind and he is loving and he's gracious and he stays by those who are his and he walks with them through the journey. Ever heard that saying, the light is at the end of the tunnel? Ever heard that? That's not a good statement to make some, somebody. You know why that's not a good one? I know we say that to give people hope. You're working in, dark, you're working in great darkness right now and I understand that, but there's light at the end of the tunnel. We're trying to give people hope. But Jesus said, I am the light of the world. We're not walking in darkness. We have the light of the Lord Jesus Christ with us in the midst 
of our journey. And he always dispels the darkness and sheds light because his word is a, come on, a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. There's no darkness in the journey that we're on because we have the presence of the Lord. Um, I spent yesterday kind of strolling through. Um, I'm already past 12 o'clock. I'm sorry. I'll probably never get, get, get invited back again. That's all right. Right, Victor? We'll see. Anyway. Um, and we went out with Theresa and with Victor uh, Thursday night. Had a great dinner together. Got to meet them. And uh, they gave us some things to see while we are here on anniversary, you know, yesterday. And and one of the places, Patty wanted to buy an ornament that said Amarillo on it so we could celebrate, you know, have a remembrance of our anniversary we spent in Amarillo yesterday. And she sent us to a store, which I'm not going to mention. But, guys, I go to those stores with my wife, and I don't know about you, I, I, I pretend to have a good time. Now, my wife is right here, so, you know, I'm not confessing anything that I, she doesn't already know. And I, I peruse and I look at stuff, but it doesn't really interest me. Right, guys? Come on, guys. Be brave. It's okay. And uh, so we went to this store, and there's a lot of those, that stuff that, you know, ladies like to put in their home and all that. And so I used to look at little plaques and little sayings and things that are there that, you know, try to find interest in what's there. And, and I do a pretty good job at, seem, you know, seemingly being interested at in what my wife shows me from time to time. But I did see a plaque in this store that said, you got this. And I thought about today. This study in a store and in my own life. God did not give Mary this assignment and said, You got it. You got this, Mary. Good luck. Hope it all works out all right. You're on this journey all by yourself. It's not what he said, was it? He said, I'll be with you. Not only will I be with you, but I will empower you. I will enable you. I will equip you. And I will encourage you as you make this journey. Because you need me. I don't know where you are in your life and your journey today, but I know you can't make it alone without him. And like Mary, if you'll look up to him, like my granddaughter did, and say, Father, will you help me? He'll help you. You can be frustrated, agonize all you want, try to build your life without him, but you can't make it without him. You just can't. So if you're here today trying to live your life without Christ, you can't live the life that he intends for you without placing your faith and trust in him as your personal Savior and Lord. You need Jesus. And we invite you during this time of invitation to place your faith and trust in him if you've not done that already. And there are pastors all over this church that love you and are very capable of helping you understand how you can trust Christ and follow him and know the power and the strength that comes from a life dedicated to serving him. If you're a believer today and you're trying to manage this Christian life on your own, good luck. You can't make it. It's not a reality. It won't happen. You need someone outside yourself, beyond yourself, to give you the power and the resources to be able to live the life that's impossible to live in your own strength. And he will empower you and enable you and encourage you as you lean on him and look to him and rely upon him 
what you don't have to live the life that's impossible to live apart from him. So I don't know where you are in this journey, but in this holiday season, we have great hope to celebrate that Jesus is present, Jesus is real, Jesus is available, and he's here to help us. And I'm so glad that he is. How about you? Let's pray. Lord, thank you for the joy and the privilege and the opportunity we have on this day to celebrate during this holiday season a hope that transcends our inability, our shortcomings, our failures. Lord, I pray that you would help us see afresh and anew insights, not only in this text, but into our lives, that would reflect your revelation and your intention to move us and to change us, to transform us, to move us to where you would have us to be. With your head bowed and your eyes closed for a moment, I ask you just to search your heart and allow the Spirit of God is in this place this morning to communicate, to reveal to you where you are and where God wants to take you in this time of appointment with Him. He knows your name today, wherever you are, whatever hardship you're going through, whatever trial, whatever difficulty. It may be relational, it may be financial, it may be physical, it may be job-related, it may be a marriage. God knows you by name. He knows where you are. He's been orchestrating all the events and the activities in your life today to bring you to this moment, to this time, this encounter with him. What will be your decision? Will it be the same as Mary's or will it be like Zacharias? who said, I don't believe you can do that, Lord. Nothing is impossible with God. He is your source. Today, if you need to place your faith and trust in him, we invite you to make Christ your source today. Let one of the pastors know at the end of our service in a moment that you'd like to trust Jesus as your personal Savior and Lord today. Maybe another time, another place, you've made that decision, but you've never followed Christ publicly in professing your faith and following him in baptism. You need to do that as well. We encourage you to do that today. Believer, is he your source? Maybe your frustration today is because he's not been your source. Whatever sin you're trying to overcome, whatever relationship you're trying to repair, whatever life you're trying to live can only be done when Christ is your source. Will you lay it at his feet and trust him with that today? In a moment as we stand and sing, whatever God has placed upon your heart, would you say yes to him? Lord, I pray that you be Lord in our decisions today. We ask it in Jesus' name and for your glory. Amen. Let's stand and sing.